On this week's Behind the Idea, we look at Walgreens Boots Alliance. The Bastion Retail Pharmacy Company has been a steady underperformer over the last few years, and we look at an ongoing bull argument to see what's going on. As we discuss, I remind Mike of the scale that Walgreens has built up. But the other point is you mentioned Walgreens, CVS, and Dwayne Reed as the specific ones that you named. And, you know, Dwayne Reed, I think is, I don't know if they're only in New York, but they're a very East Coast thing, I think. Walgreens owns Dwayne Reed. Mike doesn't see a lot of conviction on management's side in dealing with their core challenges, though. So I think that's kind of scary to consider that management seems to not really love the business that much or have that much confidence in the business. They don't seem to have a lot to say about what they can do about reimbursement pressures and the kind of spot that they're in. The company trades for below 10 times earnings and actually is growing revenue, but it faces headwinds both specific to it and endemic in the retail and healthcare spaces. Is that just the price you pay for getting such a low multiple, or is there something more going on? We discuss on Behind the Idea. Welcome to Behind the Idea. I'm Daniel Schwartzman. And I'm Mike Taylor. Today we're covering Walgreens Boots Alliance, ticker symbol WBA. The retail pharmacy giant has also been a major underperformer compared to the S&P 500. Is this just another retail story, another healthcare story, or both? We start with an article by Trapping Value on the company a few weeks ago. The Seeking Alpha author updated their bullish view on the company after the recent quarterly results. They've been covering Walgreens bullishly since late 2017. What we want to look at here, how has the thesis evolved over time, and what holds it together now? Before we begin, Behind the Idea is the podcast that looks at what makes great investment analysis work based on ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem. Neither Mike nor I have any positions in any stocks we expect to discuss. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investing advice of any sort. Mike, what's the what's the story here? What's Trapping Value's argument? What's going on with Walgreens? Well, Trapping Value has done a nice job over time of addressing different aspects of the Walgreens boots story. The latest iteration of the thesis is effectively that Trapping Value acknowledges that reimbursement pressures which are basically Walgreens' ability to charge a reasonable markup for the drugs that it sells to payers, that the that pressure on that ability is creating a, a difficulty for the business operation. That's the negative side, but Trapping Value says that on the positive side, Walgreens Boots has implemented a large cost reduction plan that should offset this margin pressure that they're facing. And eventually, the sort of pressure on the business and the operating results will normalize. And if Walgreens gets out of this uh, without too much more turbulence, then you're looking at a really attractively valued stock with potential for some good uh, growth drivers going forward. What stuck out to me is a 
12% free cash flow yield in today's stock market, Walgreens is definitely does well in terms of uh, being having a cheap valuation. But I think for us, the critical question is going to come down to whether this assumption that the business can stabilize and normalize would play out or whether the market is kind of efficiently pricing in additional difficulties. So that's basically it. Trapping value says business has been tough. Management has a plan to sort of cut down some of the fluffy expenses to offset these margin pressures and the stock is cheap. So over the long run, we should see some really attractive returns here. And what do you, what stands out to you or what do you make of that? What's your initial take? I had, well, you know, Daniel, that I'm a gross margins guy, that I love looking at gross margins as a long-term explainer of the health of a business and the strategic advantage a company might have. Something Um, I have come to cherish in you, Mike. You've picked up on and uh, yeah, grown to appreciate. What I think is interesting about the recent travails for Walgreens has been the gross margin pressure that's been a result of this uh, reimbursement pressure. My understanding of reimbursement pressure is basically that, especially with generic drugs, you have these benefit managers or these these payers who pay prices on pay prices on drugs. So when you go to Walgreens to get a prescription filled as a customer, you may only pay a partial portion of the the price there, a copay or what have you. And then there are these companies that foot the bill to Walgreens for the remainder of the cost. And these companies are the major customer for Walgreens in that they, they pay for the drugs. These payers then have tremendous ability to set the prices for Walgreens and costs of generics, costs of the goods sold, costs of the drugs have been, have been increasing, but payers and politicians are imposing a lot of pressure on uh, the industry to keep the overall price of drugs down. And that's And the payers seem to be effective in passing that pain on to Walgreens, at least to some extent. So to me, that seems like a very critical issue when you're evaluating Walgreens business. I would have, I coming into this, I would have thought, okay, Walgreens is a retailer. They kind of stockpile a bunch of drugs. Customers come in, they pay Walgreens some margin for the service of bringing the drugs close to them so that they can easily pick them up and everyone goes on their merry way. But as in everything related to healthcare, there's at least three or four more people with their hands in the cookie jar and the story's not as simple as that. And I think that's part of the wrinkle here for potential investors who are just getting started on the stock is that Look, it's just Walgreens. You see them outside on the streets. We know what they are. It should be relatively straightforward. I don't think that the business is as accessible as I would have liked, given the kind of 
weakness in the business model or the strategic disadvantage of being a retailer in 2019. What do you think? I think that's well put. I think the the gross margins here is, you know, Walgreens has a few things going on. They bought almost 2,000 Rite Aid stores. And in 2018, I think primarily they closed on that. They bought the the boots acquisition, moved them into the UK. So they do have a few moving parts in terms of breaking out their financials, understanding what's organic growth, what's not. They've got currency exposure. The pound is not doing great. And so that affects their UK numbers. And yeah, and I think retail pharmacy on the one hand, pharmacies seem to me to be stickier than your average, you know, clothing or whatever else. We've talked about the challenges the retail sectors faced on different calls and different topics. You would think that pharmacies, they're so ubiquitous in major cities, but also just in general, like you need a pharmacy, you need to go there. And then when you're there, you might get other stuff. And yet, as you said, that healthcare issue, it's, it's, it's a tough spot to be in and trapping value addressed the healthcare rhetoric as they called it on their, in their first article. And the idea of essentially the, the point was essentially let's be cautious about how much is actually going to happen. It's unclear that that will really, uh, that there's going to be a big change in the U S around the way healthcare works, which the original thesis was in 2017. We're now in 2019. And so far that's been correct. And who knows what will happen two years from now and so forth. But so, so I think that was an interesting point. But then the other point was essentially that Wal- Walgreens doesn't have so much to squeeze. There's only a 6% operating margin. That's not really where you want to crack down. And I think what may be off there is sort of what you mentioned is that that doesn't mean as there's more pressure in the industry. You know, and there are tons of middlemen and tons of, you know, pharmacy benefit managers and whatever else. There's a potential for it's sort of, we'd say a lot. I, I go to the crutch a lot of the fact that somebody in your sector is burning a ton of cash doesn't make them a good investment, but it certainly doesn't make you, it's not a positive for you either, unless you have a game plan around that. And I feel like that's similar here. The fact that you are important in the sector may not matter if people are trying to squeeze spending out of the sector in general. And so I think that's something that's just really interesting to think about here is whether or not the spending stays, you know, because that's a key tenant, has been a key tenant throughout Traveling Values thesis. I wanted to talk in a bit about how that thesis evolved over time, but a key tenant has been drug spending is going to continue at a five to 6% rate. And so you throw in all the other benefits and Okay. Yeah. So let's stick with it. I want to, your comments reminded me of an insight that I also wanted to talk about. One of the weird things about what Walgreens is doing here, I think, is that you're seeing cost of goods sold increase over time. And they're sort of, as a percentage of revenue, it cogs higher than it's ever been. We have revenue growth, but we have uh, cost of goods sold outpacing revenue growth and therefore compressing margins. The business is growing, but becoming less efficient over time on a gross margin basis. Meanwhile, they're trying to bail water out of that boat by cutting SGNA costs. And I think it's an interesting thing to see 
management sort of surrender on the level of their ability to mark up their products and instead say, okay, we need to rationalize our sales force and our operating expenses. And we need to bring those into line to offset these tougher business dynamics on the just cost of goods sold level on the level of our suppliers. That's interesting to me. And I think what adds to the kind of interest of that discussion is that we mentioned some of the acquisitions. One of the only answers that I found in terms of this industry dynamic of what are those pressures called? They're just called pressures. Reimbursement. Pressures. The reimbursement. Reimbursement model. pressures. Thank you. Yeah. So these reimbursement pressures, one of the only solutions that anyone can come up with is to scale up massively, to have a massive scale. And I think that does a couple of things for you. Once it makes you a larger buyer with respect to the suppliers of your raw materials, and it also makes you a larger supplier to the payers. And so just being larger, and then you can also other costs sort of are then distributed across a larger asset base, and that's beneficial to you. Uh, but what comes with that is larger SGNA and this kind of push and pull of acquire to scale up, and then you have to cut all the all this SGNA. And is there? It leaves me feeling like Walgreens is in a sort of weird precarious between a rock and a hard place where they have to grow the asset base tremendously and then they have to cut out a bunch of fluff. I wonder how much of SGNA is actually beneficial to the customer relationship. Can how much can they really I think SGNA is somewhere around 18% of revenue, something like that. So they can't cut that down to zero. How far can they go? And how much how much can they can they can they ever catch up to what's happening on the cost of goods sold side? I think it's a really interesting and difficult dynamic there strategically. Yeah, it's where do you think that the are you saying that from more of a principle, or do you think that the cuts in SGNA will? I'm just trying to think of Walgreens business and where with some businesses cutting marketing, for example, you you kind of know what you get there. I'm just I'm wondering if maybe. Like where do the where do you think that that might hurt them or or are you just saying that it seems odd that they're going that route? I don't know. I mean, I think it comes back to you can't just think of the customer in store experience as the main driver of things because I don't think, at least for me, and maybe it's true. For, I think a lot of people they just sort of fill their prescriptions at the nearest place. So I have a CVS that's near me, and that's just where I go to fill my prescriptions because my doctor can send them there and then I can go pick them up. Although I'm bad about picking them up and I actually have one that I should have filled a long time ago. But that I don't know I don't know how much the in-store experience matters. So if that's a driver of SGNA then that's confusing to me. But maintaining retail locations that has to factor into the SGNA expense. You have to staff them, you have to have pharmacists make the drugs. I don't know whether you should, you should probably just reduce those costs to a minimum value because I'm not sure there's much of a brand experience created or any other competitive advantage. I'm struggling to think of one that would be justify SGNA. You know, we talked about Campbell's soup expanding its margins by just having such great top of mind awareness, becoming the stand in for soup and spending money with grocery stores to 
put their product prominently. I'm not sure there's much of an analog for Walgreens, CVS, and frankly, I kind of view them all as the same. Walgreens, CVS, all these other uh, Dwayne Reed, I've never really felt them to be very differentiated from each other. It's kind of like a filling station in that way. You kind of just go wherever is closest and then factor in price or customer experience like very, very slightly like on the 1% of the total decision. So in that sense, cutting SGNA does make sense to me, but I, it's unclear to me. First of all, SGNA as a percent of re revenue is the lowest it's been in 10 years for Walgreens. So I wonder how much lower they can go. And the scarier thing to me is kind of that I don't know whether they can catch up, whether they can maintain profit margins at the levels they've been by cutting SGNA. It's just a relatively smaller proportion of revenue compared to cost of goods sold, which is, you know, four or five times as big of an impact on the income statement. So I don't know. What do you think? I think it sets up to talk about the thesis as well, because I think, I think you can start to sort of see how it would come together and the original trapping value thesis. And so I'll, I'll come back to the specific SGNA versus cost of goods sold in a minute. But the original thesis was there's a compelling valuation, secular tailwinds around drug spending. Washington DC and Amazon and grocery is not going to really compete with Walgreens and CVS. And so you look at it and it's in a good, good spot was sort of the initial thesis. And, and I think actually the, I don't think it's explicitly mentioned, but I think the right aid acquisition had closed. It is mentioned. It'll be completed in 2018, but it was closed by the time of the original thesis. And the thesis since then has been, all right, look, these reimbursement pressures have really come in. I think the key tenant of that original thesis that has been challenged is this ongoing growth. And I think that's where, you know, the reimbursement pressure and sort of the, whether or not the pie is growing, maybe it's shifting. Express scripts got bought out by Cigna. Their CVS bought Aetna, which is a health insurer. Like there's a lot of consolidation and not even just within different verticals of healthcare, but across sort of verticals. And the thesis now in the last two articles that Trapping Values shared, which was after each of the Q, Q1 of our calendar year, Q2 of Walgreens fiscal year, they had a big sell off. And then Q3 was more muted, but. Trapping value sort of acknowledge, look, the operating margin pressure is real, but you just kind of need them to hold, hold the ship. There, it's still a very attractive free cash flow yield. The share buyback is a, going to make any revenue gains that you do get, get compounded because you're going to be getting it down to the bottom line because there are fewer shares. And that plays out in the numbers there. EPS is up year over year, even though they're, net income is down about 6%. And what I think is interesting to get back to the SG&A, if you look at their Q4 or Q3, sorry, the most recent transcript, they talk about, they say there's still going to be weird stuff happening in Q4, but they say that the reimbursement pressure they think is going to be better, that gross margins are going to be better. And so what I guess I'm getting at is that, and I wanted to ask about with the share buyback, you can make the argument this is not a broken axle. I think this isn't. They're they're growing revenue partly because of the acquisition, but they are growing revenue. They are 
still printing a lot of cash. They are adding debt to the balance sheet because of the share buyback, but they are reducing the share count meaningfully. And so you could say, all right, if they can hold the line on SGNA and some other parts of the income statement so that they can kind of keep plowing money into the shares while they go through this tough headwind, then if reimbursement pressures alleviate, if healthcare spending picks up again, whatever else, like you don't need, you don't need a lot to go right for this to start to really pop a little bit. And so maybe that's the, which I guess is just a long way of saying maybe this is just a temporary headwind, which I don't know whether or not I believe, but does that make sense? That framework for thinking about the, about the company? Yeah, it does. I think though, when you get into that, you start, I mean, the argument then has to kind of become, okay, the business can go as it is now. And if things get a little bit better, then we might see, I don't know if it's a valuation story per se, but the stock kind of has to be reasonably priced for that. And one of the components of the story we already talked about was, you know, the free cash flow yield of 12%. Accordingly, a PE of around nine is where the stock's trading now. But I wanted to ask you, you know, I'm not sure that that's cheap if we just sort of describe the business meanly as a middleman that's beset on two, on one side by sort of commodity producers and on the other, other side by uh, these powerful customers who basically set the prices and reevaluate the price they're paying to Walgreens sort of at their leisure. 20, 25%, maybe 30% gross margins in good years and a three to four or 5% net margin. Even if you have growth over time, what kind of multiple would you throw on a business that I described that way? I'm not sure that 10 is too expensive. So that's one thing that that's my reaction is kind of you get to the business and all of that sounds fine. Am I thinking about the the stock and the valuation and the investment story fairly if I say something like that? Or have I gotten too beat up by trying to catch falling knives and this is actually an opportunity? Yeah, I, I think that's where this gets interesting because I think it is – the question is how can you – suss out that sort of industry issue and how can you know? And I think that's what healthcare is tough as is because, you know, we talked about DaVita at the beginning of the year. What is the, how do you set the price around dialysis? Who pays? How do you like, there are so many middlemen, there are so many different headwinds, tailwinds, whatever. And when you get to something like Walgreens, you get to the question of, you you have the general questions of retail and do people want to continue to transact in person versus ordering from home versus going online etc oh yeah let's what's um i listen to bill simmons podcast he's always advertising these erectile dysfunction pills <laughs> that you can get online now and he goes erectile dysfunction is a as a check engine light for your general health, which I think is great marketing job by whoever those guys are. <laughs> right. That made the, really changes the conversation. Made the, made the ED. Yeah. Finally, it's, <laughs> it's not about recreation. It's about it's sincere and, and challenging 
overall health cardiovascular issue, uh, check engine light. <laughs> check your check engine light, Daniel. Anyway, the the there that that's actually I didn't bring that up just because it's kind of funny and weird, and that's the world we live in today. But there is an increasing trend, and it's not just in healthcare goods; it's also in healthcare services of of ordering things online, interacting online. There are mental health services being provided online now. A lot of Whatever trepidation customers may used to have had around getting healthcare services online, they don't seem to have that anymore. There are at least entrants into the market that are seem capable, at least, of cutting out the retail middleman. I wonder whether Walgreens has had any noticeable impact from these, you know, in the ED market from these Bill Simmons podcast advertising companies. I don't know, but it doesn't, I'm not sure why that would have to be the only one. I think it's probably an easier business opportunity to go after something, a drug that has a more recreational component because people would have less trepidation about going through the entire experience online, but it's something that's happening. And I think if you're looking at, you know, a 5% growth annual growth projection going forward, there's some there's some cuts there. There's some weakness there, I think, and some sec- secular technological issues. But I, I wanted to go some th- back to something you said earlier, too, because I think it also illustrates what, again, the thesis might be here, which is, first of all, I, I, the Bill Simmons thing, I, I haven't listened to any of his podcasts where he advertised for that, but well, it's targeted. <laughs> oh boy! It's, they're aiming at me. <laughs> Dynamic podcast marketing. Look, look, marketers, if you're listening, uh, I don't need that right now. <laughs> I did just turn 36, but I'm still a little bit outside the demographic. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's get wow. <laughs> you were saying hey, happy <laughs> birthday, Mike. By the way, for all our podcasts, let's- oh, thank happy you, birthday. thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a wonderful birthday! So, Walgreens, their website is reasonably attractive. I haven't dug through it, but they've got your prescription refills. They've got your contact lenses. They've got shopping. Seems like they've. I, I don't know. I didn't look up their in their 10Q or anything, what they say about online retail. But but the other point is you mentioned Walgreens, CVS, and Dwayne Reed as the specific ones that you named. And you know Dwayne Reed, I think, is, I don't know if they're only in New York, but they're a very East Coast thing, I think. Walgreens owns Dwayne Reed. And so part of it is you could imagine even in the end, like you have to go somewhere to pick up this stuff in a lot of cases. Maybe there's regulatory reasons or whatever else. Like you ultimately want somebody who knows what they're doing to hand you your drugs. And maybe that's, again, Walgreens, like Rite Aid is not really a competitor anymore. Fred's Pharmacy, I don't think, is is, is very regional. And so Walgreens, you, it may still have enough of a – because I guess that's what drew me originally to this topic is that it's not, you know, even something like Macy's to me without knowing where the stock is trading or how it's doing. Macy's to me is a leader in its industry, but in a, that's an industry that to me screams tough. And pharmacies to me, there's, there's more questions, I guess, 
And if Walgreens is one of the, it's not obvious to me that Walgreens will be an underperformer. It's not obvious to me that the stock will be down over the last two years. And so I guess that's what drew me in. And I think you can make it, it's, I can see how the bull case would still echo of hold on they're you know, they're adding a little bit of debt, but they're still positive free cash flow, positive earnings. If they can just get on a rolling straight, I, I don't know. Like, I think there's something here. Does that make sense? Uh, so going back, there's no clear case why Walgreens should be disadvantaged. And I, that's my paraphrase of your argument. And th- relative to a Macy's, which may be a sort of the best or a good leading large retailer in apparel and home goods, I guess, department stores, Walgreens should there's no reason to think that it's worse off than Macy's. And there are some reasons to think that the type of business that a pharmacy is, is, is potentially easier than the type of business that Macy's is. I don't know. I don't think of healthcare as being very protective here. Sometimes we think of healthcare as being something that because it's regulated, there are barriers to entry that sort of boost profit margins. I mean, I don't think that's really happening with Walgreens. Again, three and a half percent net margins, gross margins, not too solid. I think Walgreens did these nationwide pharmacies did something effective over the course of the past 30 or 40 years, which is that they were able to consolidate and create a scale up a business that had been very, very local. In some ways, that may eventually have ended up the standardization of the experience may have eventually hurt them at this stage in the game. People are so indiscriminate. I'm speaking for myself, but the argument would be, okay, good job. You sort of turned turned the pharmacy experience from being a local interaction with someone that you know and trust into a kind of McDonald's experience. Now that it's a McDonald's experience, there's no reason not to have that McDonald's experience online. So congratulations, you have bought a bunch of brick and mortar assets that are no longer really all that valuable to the people that shop at your stores. On top of that, I think that, you know, just to continue on the kind of level of the business not really being all that well protected, politically here in the U.S., uh, you being in Spain may not have as much immediacy around these discussions, but Healthcare and drug prices are a serious political hobby horse for candidates, I think, on both sides of the left-right divide. And I, I think there will be substantial pressure, especially if some of the further left-leaning presidential candidates win in 2020. Drug pricing will be a huge focal point for several of them. So. I don't know if I love the Macy's analogy for that reason. And I don't think necessarily that this type of retail is all that much better protected than a Macy's or even like a Barnes and Noble for that matter. I'm not sure I'm seeing the case, but maybe I'm misunderstanding. That's interesting. The the Barnes and Noble, especially uh, shout out to an old topic. Oh, well, real quick, real quick on that. Uh, I looked at the conference call and what management said is economic and reimbursement pressures have long been remained a fact of life for us. Over the years, we have developed values at different levels to mitigate the impact of this pressure. In recent years, a major element of this 
mitigation has been improvement in generic procurement, blah, blah, blah. They have also tried to undertake new activities that have better margins. So I think that's kind of scary to consider that management seems to not really love the business that much or have that much confidence in the business. They don't seem to have a lot to say about what they can do about reimbursement pressures and the kind of spot that they're in. You're saying that because instead of saying we're the solution to reimbursement pressure is to scale up or to lobby, I mean, they wouldn't say lobby, but whatever else, because they're not doing that, but instead saying we're mitigating by squeezing out savings elsewhere, that's a sign that this is not going away. Is that what you're saying? They say they, yeah, basically like we can't do much about this. They say that improvement in generic procurement has been made possible by changes in global generics manufacturing sector. So basically, that to me says, okay, efficiencies on the commodity side of the business are improving, and that's helped alleviate cost increases. Patent expiries, just new drugs going generic has been good for them. And But the level at which we can mitigate current and future reimbursement pressure toward generic procurement has reduced, although it will be an important lever for many years to come. I don't get, I, they don't sound confident that there's much they can do about this intrinsic strategic position there. So I wonder if, I think maybe what you have to have a view on to decide whether you think that the value compensates you for this is to know whether, I don't know if it's the reimbursement pricing per se, or if it's just the general climate in your most likely, let's say, Medicare for all solution or whatever else, what happens to these retail pharmacies? Do they just get squeezed more because now health insurance is governmentally done? Or like, how does that play out and the where I'm getting at is does is there a scenario where this is just a utility where yes to your point it's the I liked the McDonald's point. I think that's a smart point to make. But you could also say, well, it's just like you don't know where you're getting your electricity from. Your electricity is the same. You need to get the drugs from somewhere. You need to go in. And so if they can kind of keep that flow and they have enough corners in the country to do that which sounds like a different sort of drug, but it's, you know, it's a similar idea is there's going to be demand for treatments and you're going to have to be compensated somehow. And maybe that's where, you know, a 10 time PE and a three and a half percent dividend yield prices in the reality that could be it in the, in the long term. Maybe that is earnings the earnings trajectory is trimmed by half over time. So you're really looking already at a 4% earnings yield and a 3% dividend yield. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing out numbers, but I wonder if that's where you have to have the viewpoint and whether that's attractive and whether there's a scenario where they actually have better results. What do you think? Yeah, I think, well, I think you're asking the right key question. And I find this just ironic. I think I've been beaten up so bad by trying to look for value opportunities over the past five or so years that I'm, we're seeing one that kind of makes sense on a high level. Look, they're going through a rough time right now. Margins are compressing. They have, they do have a plan in terms of the SGNA. 
it does kind of make sense that they'd have to wring out a lot of costs after making these gigantic acquisitions. And hopefully the scale does create some benefits to the margin pressure there. I mean, I'm being probably overly pessimistic. There's a range of outcomes that are much more favorable. That's where trapping value is kind of landing. And you look for you look for cheap stocks. This is cheap, and it's it's hard to imagine Walgreens getting into dire dire circumstances from here. So I get it. I just I think I was just so floored by the the difficulties of this business. They were, it's a much more challenged space than I think I had realized coming into it, and uh, that has me gun shy about the rest of the story, which includes a reasonable valuation. And, you know, those free cash flow yields, those are right in my wheelhouse of the 10 PE, 10% plus free cash flow yield. There's something really great about that. And maybe manage, I mean, the company's been around for a long time. Maybe management knows what it's doing. And it's, it's actually smart of them to say, look, we're kind of in this tough spot. Our plan is basically targeting SGNA efficiencies and we're going to ride this out. We've, we've done it before. I do think there's a lot of regulatory uncertainty. I have no idea what it would look like if we had one of these nationalized healthcare plans implemented. I don't think it would boost generic drug pricing though. That's, but that's all I have to say. It's a, it just, I'm kind of on the teeter totter here. You, I'm coming around a little bit. It's because I, I went from negative. It's because I had a big lunch. I kind of lowered you on the tears hotter a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> You're a big boy. Big boy uh, yeah, I've I've got my big boy pants on today. I can say that much. Good job. Good job. I have great blood pressure, by the way. I'm in the. I was in the one one teens. I think one teen, one ten, one seventeen over sixty eight or something. So. Take that, Walgreens. So I think it's priced reasonably is what I was going to say. I think it is. You don't get 10 time PEs in this market without some hair. I think my sort of very surface level observation was this seems like it wouldn't have so much hair, but I think we've hit on a few sources of, of uncertainty that would suggest continued problems. And so, yeah, I think it's reasonably priced. I think you should know what you're getting into that, you know, the balance sheet isn't, isn't terrible, but also isn't pristine. And like I said, they're buying back more share. They're, they're taking on new debt, which I'm never crazy to see. Yeah. I think it's an interesting story. I think it's been interesting to think through the, there's the phrase thesis drift. I don't know that that applies here per se, but it's just interesting to watch how a thesis evolves, whether that is the right one to stick with going forward and so forth. So yeah, that's my, that's where I would make my take. Okay. Oh, and one, I just have one quick thing for our listeners. I bought three gold ETFs yesterday. So I'm a gold bug now. So <laughs> just everyone be aware. I listened to Ray Dalio. I read his LinkedIn post, which is weird, but I did. And so now I'm long on GLD, GDX, and GDXJ. Wow. Even the, ju- even the junior miners, Daniel. <laughs> oh, man. I'm in there. I'm in the mix. 
<laughs> if any listeners are still on and have thoughtful questions to ask Mike about his new turn to gold, send them in to btipod at seekingalpha.com because I don't even know where to begin. And so <laughs> I would I'm like gold bug, baby. It's, it's fun. It's just fun being one. I can see why people do it. I should have gotten in on this earlier. <laughs> that is an investing thesis suitable <laughs> for the end of a behind the idea. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun. Okay. This was fun. All right, Mike. Daniel. Yep. Thanks for your time. It was fun. Thank you for yours. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Behind the Idea. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you want to wish Mike a belated happy birthday, at Taylor is the ticket on Twitter. You can also ping me at at DanielSeekingA to discuss Walgreens or any other ideas. I'm sure Mike would be open to discussions as well. We'll try to follow up on this company, so if you have any suggestions of who we should speak with, let us know. If you have a chance to leave us a review on any podcast platform you find appropriate, please do so. We'd be grateful. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye.